0: that we will be attached and we would rather be attached and we would rather be belong and we would rather be chosen than be who we really are.
1: That is probably one of my favorite five minutes I've ever done on the podcast. And I'm actually buzzing to listen to that. I've not heard, you, I've not heard anyone um, speak about this attachment versus authenticity and how you just articulated that. I've taken so many notes. Um, <laughs> God, right. Try and break down what you said there. Welcome to the Prime Life Project podcast. Pays to help you unlock your full potential, both mentally and physically, to become the best version of you. Welcome back to an episode of the Prime Project Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel James, and today I'm very excited to introduce to you Kara Payton. Now, we can go all over the shop today. I've already had a bit of a discussion off air. Uh, I'm going to try and keep it as succinct as possible, uh, but I love the message that kara has got. Uh, I know that you guys are going to love it too. So, Kara, how are we?
0: I am amazing. I'm so glad to be here today with
1: you. Like I said, I've been following you for a while on Instagram, and the message that you've got is very, very unique. Like to to sort of pre-frame the audience here, um, your Instagram bio reads, I dare you to be honest about who you really are. And that's kind of where we're going today. And I think the way that you deliver this message is something that a lot of people need to hear. So can you sort of take my audience back and explain sort of how you kind of got to the place that you're at right now? Because I said, you've got a lot of awareness. You've got a lot of information. How did you end up where you are?
0: Well, as far as the, uh, as far as the final result of getting to that Instagram bio life motto mantra, we'll say is a lot of self abandonment first, uh, took place, built an entire lifestyle around to insulate myself from honesty, to insulate myself from facing my fears, facing my greatest insecurities. I had an entire life that was perfect. I had the white picket fence. I had the huge house, the fancy car, the massively more money than I could ever imagine, a job that was well-paid and got all the way to this life summit, we'll say, where I was at the top of my life and no more boxes were there to check but i was completely empty i felt like hollowed like just a stiff breeze would have pushed me over my life was so empty but it was full i had filled it and managed to fill it with every single possible thing you could i was like it's money it's a marriage okay check 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 have the kids have the you know find god um put all of these things into this life and i was realizing like. I'm still completely and utterly miserable. What the hell am I missing? And no sooner than the, the, the realization came to my mind, walking in the door and feel like, feeling like I wasn't even in my own house, like my, literally out of my body. I was looking around and going, I don't even feel like I'm standing here. What is going on? And that nagging thought for years finally caught up with me. I could no longer run faster than it was chasing me and i just exasperated i think i dropped what was in my hands and i was just like i give up if god if this is all there is to this life can i just please be freaking happy with this if it's not show me what i'm missing because i am really unhappy and that is literally the invitation i gave to the universe to pretty much come screw everything up and in the best way and so that was the starting point
1: i think this, this is this why i love your story because so many people feel that way they've got like everything that they could possibly want on paper and that they're sort of told from childhood that you you want marriage kids house job yet they've just got the n- niggling things just like something's not quite right why do you think that we are almost conditioned to want to have these things, even though we know from history that, that that's not really what we're designed to have? Do you think that's by design? Like, why do you think we're forced down this sort of path that essentially leads us to misery?
0: It's a such a good question. And there's so many possible nuanced answers. So first you say, you know, everything looks good on paper. The caveat is we don't live on paper. Mm-hmm. And so while we're kind of sold this facade that this is what will make us all happy you know i i was too and there's people that either have it and discover that that's not it or people that are still chasing it under the guise of hope that once they do have it something else will fill in the blank Mm -hmm. we're looking for outer stuff to fill our inner stuff Mm -hmm. we're just on a different plane like When you finally fill the outer stuff, that's when you discover the inner stuff. If you live out there in the world and you're super, just super, well, we'll say shallow, but I don't mean it in a a critical judgmental way. When you're shallow thinking that all of that outer stuff will do something, it's only until you plug all those puzzle pieces on the outside of the puzzle before you realize, oh my God, there's a middle. Mm -hmm. There's a whole middle here that I'm not even working on. But as life would have it, as the universe would have it, as divine spiritual learning would have it, you have to fill in that outside. If that's your, if that's your target, if that's your chase, if that's your lie that you've been telling yourself, you kind of have to go through all of that. Hmm. There's no way that I would be able to appreciate my life and the simplicity and the minimalism that I have now if I didn't chase after every single shiny object that there was to chase. Only then did I realize what actually matters to me because this isn't. Sometimes it is just that kind of that law of polarity where you realize in order to feel good and know what feel good feels like, you have to feel the depths and the darkness and the depression, the joy that I feel now, the utter complete joy and fulfillment that I feel now is really only magnified and made to contrast to the upteenth degree by the misery that I've been able to feel, by the depression I've been able to feel. I've been suicidal before, and I could not even imagine touching and flirting with that idea now personally, but because I have gone to those depths, not only do I feel utter bliss that's unprompted, but I can talk to people that do not see the point of life and to to bridge and have have walked from ladder rung one, right out of the depths, the pit of your life, all the way to where I am. I can now navigate all the way down and all the way up. And I can talk about rung number five because it's really where I got caught up or rung number eight. And it's because it's really where I got caught up. And I can tell someone, hey, to go from where you are to where I was, this is what I did. Try it on, see if it makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, long-winded way of answering your question. I think we're just sold a bill of goods that is outside stuff will fix inside stuff, and really the journey of uncoupling that from your truth or to really kind of de- you know myth bust it. You kind of have to go through it.
1: Mm-hmm. You
0: really just kind of have to go through it, unfortunately.
1: I think the the, the problem for, for me is you're completely right. I always say the be- uh, becoming depressed is the best thing that ever happened to me. And people are like, what do you mean? For the exact same reason that you said, I wouldn't be where I am right now if I hadn't literally hit rock bottom because I'd have carried on going down the same path. The thing for me that worries me is if you look at the state of the world right now, I literally just went to get my haircut earlier on today, walking around the town center. I was just saying to Mikey beforehand, people just look miserable. They're just very, very unhappy. And if you look at the state of mental health in, again, the world, not just England, not just America, the world, depression is at an all time high, anxiety is an all time high, like uh, all these medications are an all time high. And the thing that bothers me the most is that, and this is why I like what your message is, that people are essentially running away from themselves. And I agree that people have to go through it. However, I don't think there's enough information about what that actually looks like. And we unfortunately lose a lot of people because they hit rock bottom so hard and they're so ill-equipped to hit rock bottom that they can't handle it. And they don't realize that it's part of the journey. Am I making sense with that?
0: Absolutely, there really isn't. There's not enough conversations about the kind of embrace it. We, We have all of these things and tools and medications and answers and solutions for how to remove pain, how to get rid of the problem. How to solve for X? How to you? You have anxiety? No problem. Here's a pill. You still have anxiety? Cool. Here's a YouTube video. You have anxiety? Well, shoot. Here, maybe it's the friend group. Maybe it's the da 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 da. Maybe it's your work. Maybe it's your demanding boss. Maybe it's your oppressive boyfriend. Maybe it's da that, da that, da da that, 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 And they go through the list of how to get rid of the anxiety. 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 Attacking the anxiety, which is the tip of the iceberg. It's a symptom of a dysregulated nervous system. Somewhere in you, you abandoned yourself or you betrayed yourself or you walked away from a truth or you're, again, like you said, you're chasing your own tail, trying to avoid something, trying to avoid truth catching up with you, what the real deal is. So much easier to get rid of anxiety. I can pop a pill, I can go take a shot, I can do anything and I can get rid of my anxiety. Does that solve the problem? Depends on who you ask right now. And so there are people that they're only interested in getting rid of the anxiety. They don't care about the root. They don't care about the cause because right now the cause somewhere in their highest self, their highest functioning system they know damn well that they start pulling the layers off underneath that it. it's not gonna stop for a long time. Mm-hmm. I feel like people have a a wisdom inside of them that understands that if you start looking at this and seeing it, you can't unsee it. And so there's people that Embrace that it's going to be a little bit of a process, a little bit of an uncovering, a little bit of discovery. And there's people are like, nope, I don't have time for that. I do not have time time for the disruption. I have my busyness. I have my chaos. I'm addicted to my emotional suffering. I'm addicted to all of these things. And right now, that is going to upset the apple cart. So, passing go, collecting my two hundred dollars, and saying hell no to that journey. Mm -hmm. So, the people that do hit rock bottom. Those people absolutely need all of the conversations and all of the support because they said, yeah, you know what? Tell me about that anxiety. Tell me what's underneath of that because I'm willing to look. The problem is those people do need care. They need information, but they also need processes. Mm -hmm. And that's where I have a massive issue with life coaching or self-help or the just the industry as a whole they read a book because they were told that this book is life-changing they go to a retreat and they tell oh this 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 event was amazing i healed so much they have a coaching program or a course they buy it and it's like well now what because i'm here i went through it and it left me with so many different holes but that's not that's not the end it's not one and done you're given information just information people need a process people need to be met where they are they need to understand that this mindsets and mantras bs that's being thrown everywhere like confetti is not enough they need to know how to apply it knowledge is not power knowledge is not knowledge is worthless knowledge is potential power it's potential exchange it's nothing to change you. That's knowledge. I could, read a, I could read books all day long on how to be a mechanic. But if my car breaks down, you better believe I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And the same thing is with our life. If we have, if we have information on what a healthy relationship looks like, but I'm horrendously addicted to the one that I'm in, knowledge of what a healthy relationship looks like doesn't help me. Mm-hmm. so i don't i don't even exactly remember where i started with the with this listen tangent. you want to listen
1: listen you, you listen you're on a roll i was letting you go because it's like i was like yes i was like just just go for it because I, and this is and again i've heard you on, on other podcasts and i didn't know how we're going to get to this topic but I, I wanted us to talk about this because you're completely right you've hit the nail on the head for me one of the biggest issues is the self-help industry because it's never enough to just read one book and what I always say to clients is just read one book and then apply information from that book. Same with me. I literally have been reading the same book for the last year. I've read it once, read it twice, three times, four times. And each time I'm learning and implementing, learning and implementing, I'm teaching, it, I'm passing it on to people. And for me, that's how that's the only way you can learn. It's like you, you can't, as you said, you can you can learn all the stuff you want to about fixing a car, but until you've actually gone and done it, it's not going to help. And I feel like the problem with, again, not not everyone, because there's some great people in the industry, I think you'll agree. But the vast majority is they're trying to like have clients for life. They almost want the clients to need them, and they're, again, they're almost like idolized, like in like this like this guru status of like oh, just, just give me whatever you want. Oh, new course, I'll take it. Oh, this workshop, I'll take it. Or oh, book, I'll take it. Rather than just being like, no, yeah, let's just figure this out.
0: And that's enabling someone to further refer to you for your answer. I can't think of any more of an oppressive way to not only dictate what someone thinks instead of teaching them how to think, but then here I am with this egoic narcissism where I'm standing at the top of my mountain trying to tell you how to get to the top of my mountain. Who decided, who decided what success was in that scenario? I did. Who's going to teach them how to get there? I am. Where, In what? in what sense of actual servitude are we entering into when I'm telling someone how to get to mine and I'm pitching knowledge from the top to the bottom. Hmm. How about I go from the top of my mountain having already gotten there and I go down to the base camp and I have them point around at the mountain range and going, which one's your mountain? Which one's your success? Where's your relationship? What does that look like? What amount of money are you after? That one, perfect that looks similar to something I've gone through. Here's how I tackled it. Here's the critical thinking tools that you need to answer your own questions. Because my questions on my journey were different. Because Mm -hmm. unfortunately, because I am religiously stubborn when it comes to learning my life lessons, I realized rock bottom had a basement. And so I had to get to the rock bottom and then I had to self-sabotage from there and dig a hole in the damn floorboards before I learned, hey, by the way, this can get a lot worse. Mm -hmm. If you don't apply what you know, this can absolutely come unglued even further. Mm. So to sit there and narcissistically pitch someone, my version of success, my version of a healthy relationship, my version of a good life, my version of good health is so absurdly neurotic that someone would even have the same linear path as me I can't even begin to explain how limited the life coaching is. Life coaching, who is qualified to actually life coach? We all, we all have life. We all have life. We all have, we are all living it. Nobody's more or less qualified. Mm -hmm. You're certified in what? You're certified in one methodology for changing language or for questioning. That doesn't make you a life coach that makes you very, very nuanced in one piece of educated advice that you can offer. We're basically paying to for life advice. That's it, anyone can do that. And mm-hmm. anyone can do that from the limited perspective of their experience, their hallucinations about the world, their belief structures, and their chosen outcome mm-hmm. in reference to where they are. It's so completely absurdly limited, it's laughable that the industry even stands. Mm So my question for people is like, we're calling, first of all, self-help is absolute bullshit, self-help. Then why is it coming from some guru in a book? If it's self-help, this should be self-exploration, self-recovery, self-healing, self-transformation, self-referencing. Mm -hmm. At some point in my journey, I should be able to shut off everything around me and refer to me because I'm the one that's giving myself the information. I'm the one that's posing the questions and I'm the one who wants the answers. So why would I reach outward for it? I think that the best thing that we can do in the self-help industry and in the life coaching industry and in all of in this personal development industry is teach people how to self-sustain. Mm-hmm. I think that that's hopefully where it's going.
1: Because that's something that is really interesting. That's what I'm trying with my, with my clients. I am trying to teach them how to climb. Like it's their, their mountain, but pick whatever mountain you want. I'm just going to teach you the principles on how to climb. So you've got the principles. We're going to talk about this in a second. Because for me, I think what you've mentioned there is the, the general way of doing that is, is here's my thing and you've got to fit into my program, if you don't fit it and you don't get the results, you're a failure, which then perpetuates people's narrative of not being good enough. Like, this is my fault. Oh my God, this guy's got 100,000 followers. I can't do his program. I'm a failure. So it's all me. Got nothing to do with the fact of they've tried to cram you in with this generic thing of, like, you've got to, I don't know, take take a nice bath at 2 a.m. and you've got to do all this stuff and look after the kids. It's just absolute nonsense. Now, here's where I want to go with this, because, this is, I think, the, the critical thing. When I started to apply this with clients, this is where everything changed. Teaching people how to think. This, for me, I, so many people lack the ability to critically think. And it's actually interesting that when I was in America, uh, one of the, the, the courses I took at university was critical thinking. At the time, I thought it was a load of rubbish, but now I'm like, wow, it's actually one of the best skills. So can we talk about like what actually is thinking and how do we teach people to think in general? Because I, I think you're right, so many people just walk around like a zombie state They think they're thinking, but mental activity is not thinking. So to answer the question again, how do we actually think? Like, How can people begin to actually start thinking?
0: When it comes to the process of developing, curating, adopting thought, I think the main caveat that is missed out of there in the world is questioning whether or not the thought itself, the concept itself was thrust upon you, or if it came from within. If it's someone else's, we have to discern whether or not that came from another place or if it's ours. And I think that at the very gate, if we can learn what is on the outside, what came in from outside, what is foreign or and what is domestic. Because if I have thoughts coming from me, I can then sort, I am, I am the source so the whole factory is within myself. I was able to question it. It came from me. Well, where did it come from? Well, that's interesting. Do I actually, here's the stream of thought. Which ones do I actually believe? Which ones do actually support my priorities? Which ones will align with my values? And so if it comes from me, I'm, I'm at the start of the factory line. I can then take my process and accurately from day one it's like raising a dog or a kitten from day one if if I have a shelter dog and I adopt not you know, I'm for everyone that has a shelter dog I am not criticizing you yeah. you're a, you're a saint to deal with things that you don't know you adopted a seven-year-old dog and you don't know what kind of situation you're in from seven to newborn it's the same thing with our thoughts if it came from somebody else the poisoning the uh, the adaptations the unhealthy behaviors the lack of priorities the values that are just chaos didn't come from you so you don't have control over them if they were thrust upon you they are somebody else's they're from somebody else's narrative they're from cultural divides or beliefs or something there's somebody else's concepts of the world somebody else's perspectives and lenses in order to critically think you have to establish what your lens and model of the world actually is and you have to, at times, be able to separate yourself from that lens. Is this my skewed perspective? Is this my limited vantage point from, that's actually on as lenses that I'm viewing the world through, my belief systems? Critical thinking is to go like this. lens. For those of you who are not watching the video, mm-hmm. lens away from the eyes and see it as it really is wow, that's interesting that through my perspective and my lens, we have to be able to step back from my life, my experience, my beliefs, my long-term adopted adaptations and habits of thought and step away from it and not look, making sure that I am able to remove myself from my life and look at it objectively. And to critically think is to say something slapped on the table and just go, is that really true? Mm -hmm. is that really true that way is there another way of looking at it and are my beliefs or habits or frames and perspectives of thought altering it it's kind of an examination to critically think it's kind of that thing it's if you can imagine somebody being critical to dissect something to throw it up against the wall and flog it with arrows it's like that's critically thinking take the thought and be critical with it (laughs)
1: But how do we go about doing this? Because I think one of it, because you, you're completely correct here, and this is something that I find with most people, when you first start to talk to them about this, as you mentioned, like habit of thought, so many people are stuck in a negative habit of thought. They are stuck with these negative beliefs, and they are walking around with these sunglasses on, but they don't know they're wearing sunglasses. How do we get people to become more aware? Because without the awareness, we can talk about this all day long, as we've said, but people can listen to this and be like, yeah, I hate what you're saying, but they've got no awareness that they're actually having these negative thoughts and that they're stuck in these belief patterns that were given to them from early years how do we start to actually unpick this because I know I, I can remember when I first started to hear that voice inside my head and realize I could control it It's like what the hell like people don't have that awareness people are so stuck inside their own heads they can't unstuck themselves that makes sense so what does that process actually look like for a complete beginner that's listening to this saying yes this is brilliant but how the hell do I start to recognize what I'm thinking?
0: Well, to answer that question, I'll, I'll pre-frame it by saying we have to first accept the fact that we all have a lens. We all have a model. We all have basically a formulated mm, filter. For, we all do. We're all guilty of it. It just depends on how filtered, how muddy, how inaccurate it is. We all have one. So if we can get past that and I'll I'll get, that's, that's the entry point. That's kind of the qualifier in order to critically think at all. You have to understand that you don't critically think most of the time. Mm -hmm. And then moving forward, say something's been said, something that's been said, it's been thrust upon you or a thought has occurred to you. Let's just say we have this, we have this piece of information. Did it cause an emotional reaction? Because if it caused an emotional reaction, we can know one thing. You bought it hook, line, and sinker. If it's already causing an emotion in you, you go from thought to feeling to deed or action to habits, behaviors, personality, et cetera. And then that reframes and hardens into our identity. So if you went from presented thought to emotion, you bought it. You didn't, there was no, there was no pause. There was no gap. There was no prove yourself to me. You just were like, "Yep. I heard it. I hear a trigger name. People people say, you know, I'm triggered or something. It's like being triggered is such a complete and total bullshit. That means you bypass your ability to choose. Mm. And that's exactly what that is. So a thought, if you're having an emotion, you've already you're already kind of disqualified from the the process of critically thinking. You can stop and back up, but it's a lot more difficult. The easier path, the path of least resistance, is to take something and, and insert a gap. And the way we do that before thought becomes emotion, we have to have a gap in between, whether it's a pause, a cue, something you can give yourself that says, hmm, my, my favorite one is interesting. Just saying that to myself in my mind or out loud, if I say interesting, especially in my head when I'm listening to a client talk or a friend give their version of a story or something like that, I tell myself constantly, Interesting, interesting that they believe that, interesting that they're saying that, interesting that they're using those words specifically, interesting language, interesting perspective, interesting, 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 trying to keep me from touching it. It's almost like if you can imagine something sticky, like a thought that you buy into hook, line and sinker, once you have the emotion in it, you're already stuck to it. You've, you've stuck it, it's, it's like a one of those sticky traps. When you have the emotion, you're already on the sticky trap. If you can keep yourself going, interesting, interesting, you're keeping yourself from landing on it and it's sticking. So I like to, in my head, that, that prompt and that thought for me personally is always just stay slick, stay slick, stay slick. Don't, don't, it's like Teflon thinking. I don't go into it yet. Um, so if you're struggling with something that almost seems like it's driven for you, driven by you, not driven by you, driven for you, you're not in the driver's seat. The quickest way to go from i'm i'm just i'm I've been dictated, and something else has holds me hostage and, and my thinking is done for me. Just understand that you're not stuck you're programmed you're just mm-hmm. well programmed. The mm-hmm. program runs by default. the habit is secure. A habit has three pieces: a lot of us think that a habit is something super. Super mysterious. Ten days to ten days to break a habit. Twenty-one days to form a habit. Whatever the that's all BS. A habit is nothing more than a memorized function. Memorized any kind of function. You have your cue, what what sets it off. You have the habit itself, what you do, and the last part is your reward system. Whether it's healthy or unhealthy, it doesn't matter. As long as you produce dopamine at the end of it, you're going to be addicted to it once you memorize the function to where your body does it better than your mind does it, you're doing something without thinking about it. So for those of you, I have have racing thoughts, I have racing thoughts. You don't have racing thoughts, you have a habit of letting them go as fast as they need to go to continue this perpetual cycle inside your head. So interesting, remaining, remaining unstuck just involves you punctuating that process and creating as many holes in it as you possibly can with pause.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That, that's that's how I would reverse engineer any type of thing that seems to be happening without your without your say so.
1: We've got very similar um, thinking processes, which is. Brilliant. Like I said, it's it's really reassuring because all the stuff I've heard, I've not heard you speak about this uh before, but I liked your message. So I was really curious today to unpick like the thinking behind that. And I'm very impressed with stuff. I just wanted to unpick something you said there. Uh, I love the fact you said about being triggered is actually just being you're bypassing your ability to choose. For me, one of the biggest things is that people don't realize they have a choice. People are stuck being powerless completely disempowered and for me our job is to essentially empower people that you can climb this mountain you can climb like you can just you're just choosing not to and people are like oh I'm not, I'm not choosing anything yeah that's the point you're by not choosing you're still choosing uh then also said by being stuck in a program which again i love the fact of programs can be unprogrammed we just need to figure out how to actually do it and then talk about habits as well so i do a side differently i do trigger action reward which is essentially the q habit reward system and it's the same thing like You've got to kind of figure it out. Now, I'm just very curious with this. So when it comes to puncturing holes in this, because as you mentioned before, sometimes it's so quick that we can't catch our thoughts. So I'm just curious your thoughts on this. For me, if the reward is, because again, some of these things are amazing. Some of the habits are brilliant and it's serving us and this thought pattern we're in is serving us. Life's amazing. We're earning money. We're happy. Cool. So we're only talking about things that aren't serving us. When that reward is not serving us, do you believe in reflecting on it and learning from it? Is that one of the things you talk about? So almost like retrospectively analyzing, right, this is the reward I got. Here's the action that I took. What was I feeling? Because for me, it's that emotional intelligence that people lack. So we're talking here about these thoughts, these feelings. I find a lot of people, especially men, but that's not just men, have such an inability to articulate and communicate how they're feeling So when you speak to them about, well, what was this thing? Like, what was this trigger for you? Like, how were you feeling? They can't articulate it. Is that something that's important to understand?
0: If you had asked me five years ago, I think I would have said more yes. But lately, I'm understanding a little bit in my own personal hallucinations about the world and the way that we function as, as emotional creatures, we can get especially over the last three years, I think that some of this personal development and awakening and and really kind of tearing open the veil and, and diving into these layers has been such a beautiful process for so many. But three years later, after kind of the biggest global scale personal dive for the world, we're kind of getting addicted now to this Oh, tell me more about that. You know, maybe, maybe we should understand why and diving into the reasons. We're getting stuck in unnecessary waters and we're dying. It's like most, most shores that are, that are connected to the ocean. There's a certain point, the danger zone, where you can wade out to this point And of this point, they'll have like a, a rope barrier before you just get lost into open waters or before you're more likely to be pulled into open waters. And when you think about that in the realm of diving into a trigger, especially when it comes to trauma and PTSD,
1: mm-hmm.
0: to figuring out the why and where it came from, or the root cause, or the root memory, or diving into what actually happened to form this trigger or fear, or whatever we're dealing with objectively, there is a point, I believe, in our psyche that has a danger point too where you're going to get pulled into the undertow of that analysis addiction into finding it out where we're psychoanalyzing ourselves which is why we have soldiers that are in therapy for over a decade that are still killing themselves because they're not maintaining this barrier of how far into all of that that they can go before things start to really get detrimental to their well-being there's a certain point where you need to go I don't need to know where this comes from. I just need to understand where I want to go. And that that habituated emotional addiction to my suffering, to my problems, to picking the scab of my wound is re-traumatizing me. People are in therapy all the time for years and have zero healing, zero help, zero anything. Therapy is a sorting mechanism. It is not the healing game. And that's where I feel like I stand kind of at the crux and in the face of so much of this personal development bullshit is because you can re-injure yourself with retelling a traumatic story. If I can re-injure myself in the retelling of it, I've re-traumatized myself all over again. The limbic system in your brain does not know space and time. It does not know that you're back in the situation where you were raped or molested or held at gunpoint or abused by your what. We don't know that. We don't know that there's a gap. We don't know that we're safe. And our nervous system has completely gone into the point of my car wreck or my abortion or my whatever, I am there again. My whole brain, my whole emotional state, my physical, it all just went right back there. And my nervous system went, I'm not safe. And it pitches you into the stress response. And now you're in a survival state sorry, we're all out of time. It's Monday. See you next week. And I walk out of the therapist's office in a survival state only to come back the following week and retell the story all over again. But now I've come up with another sick and twisted addiction of why that means something about my belief system, something about my worth, something about my daddy issues, something about now I've hardened it. It's worse than it was last Monday because now, because I'm playing it all over again and I've kind of mentally masturbated myself back into that horrible place. Now I've, now that I'm in the survival state and in that recurring memory, I lived my life all that week with new relationships, new experiences, new things to prove that that thinking is current, accurate, and real. Mm -hmm. So my question for anybody who who wants to know what's underneath the root cause of whatever trigger. It's like, why do you need to know where it came from? Would you much rather just know where to go and -hmm. understand that these things, they happened? So first, you know, first step of anything is not denying it, accepting that that was that. Making your meaning of it. If it hasn't, it was, if it was pre-made or just made where you think I was, I was abused or abandoned as a child so i'm worthless okay can you reframe that can you find something that in being abandoned in being abused that is purposeful is meaningful is a gift is there anything in there that happened because of it that you can find positive meaning for for example i was i was adopted so at some point i developed the belief that i was unwanted that I, that I'm easy to leave behind, that I'm, I'm not, I don't have a high sense of self-worth. I ended up in a string of abusive relationships, a string of people who would love me for a time and then just discard me. When I reframed that because I was adopted, because someone did give me up I have such a deep empathetic heart for people who know what to feel worthless feels like to the point where I can absolutely articulate it to the upteenth degree and help heal people. Then I reframed the belief that it has, that it's personal and pervasive, pervasive that it has to do with my actual self-worth. I reframed it. I didn't have to go to the root and find out the first memory that my father and somehow, you know, psychoanalyze that exact memory and dig it out of my subconscious and replay it over and over and over and over in therapy. All I had to do was accept what happened, reframe it to my be- embetterment, to my empower me, and then decide where I'm gonna go with that intact. You don't have to find the root. Heal it in your nervous system, decide where you're going, who you're going to be, what you want, and what that means you do, and do
1: that. Mm. You again have gone off on some amazing points. There. If I just want to try and trump and because I said I- I'm just letting you go. Like, normally my audience is probably like, God, you're not saying much. Well. It's just because I'm just letting you flow because I'm agreeing with everything you're saying. Um, so, I just want to again, em- emotional addiction. You're completely right that. People get very, very emotionally addicted to things. And something I also want to clarify for my audience and also validate as well is the fact that what you spoke about people reliving stuff uh, and the brain not knowing the difference between the thought and reality. We've all experienced that. So if you've ever woken up in the middle of the night from a nightmare and your heart is pounding and your palms are sweating, that is your brain and your body not realizing that you were not actually being chased by a monster. Your brain and body literally thought that was a real thing. So what Cora's saying here is that every time you go back and think of that traumatic experience, your body is literally reliving that all the chemicals being released and for all intents and purposes you are reliving it but again the memory is not going to be what actually happened it's your interpretation of it and the story you've told yourself which has probably made it even worse so it's even more traumatic for you uh you've then covered a load of great stuff on nervous system We're going to go down the second but i love what you said there about just identifying what this thing is accept it reframe it so it's empowering for you and then decide okay well where do i want to go now i've got this information i absolutely love that i think it's fantastic but let's actually talk about now because you mentioned here like therapy is not therapy and healing are not the same thing so my question to you now is then what is healing? And I'm going to assume this is going to tie into the nervous system. I'm not saying it is. I'm I'm just hypothesizing where we've just gone there, but how do we actually heal? How do we actually start to heal ourselves?
0: It's such a great question. And for, we'll start broad and then we'll go deep. I'll go wide and then I'll go deep. Yep. Essentially healing is the full integration Of the positive and negative experiences of your life Mm. just an integration fully not abandoning that part of you at five that part of you at 13 the part of and not leaving because it's framed negatively or this one's positive so this one gets priority or this one's allowed and this one's not allowed it's not disallowing parts of your experience parts of your identity parts of you as you move forward it's that all parts go forward in equal priority together and so what i mean by that is essentially along the line our brain has a very very beautiful job it's it's it stands it goes into anything goes that's a sharp edge i'm coming in to protect it's very very great It's a great tool. The problem is not all sharp edges that it determines are actually sharp edges. Not all devils you don't know are devils. Your brain doesn't care. It goes sharp edge, fatten down the hatches, turn it off, go the other way. And so when you come up against something scary, negative, painful, or whatever, any age, your brain is going to try and bubble wrap the, the edges and direct you away from them. There will be pieces of you in these moments that are left behind because of that. Moments where we'll bring a little bit of the nervous system in here where we're born with only two needs. We're only born with two, the need for attachment. And as we're born, if we don't attach, that's a, very, that's a, that's a need based in survival. If I'm born and I don't attach to a caregiver, I don't get my needs met and I die. So attachment is very important to us on a cellular level. There's also the need for authenticity and authenticity to demystify that it's not just, oh, I'm I'm myself, I don't care what you think of me, I'm me and this is who I really am. It's not that. To the body, to the nervous system, Authenticity is the ability to have a signal come up in your body and you actually acknowledge and make a decision with that information. Mm -hmm. So if I have perfect example. A lot of girlfriends ask themselves, you know, something just doesn't feel right. What do you think about this guy that I'm dating? What it's just like, I don't know. Just something just feels off, but they ask for outward references. That's a lack of authenticity not feeling right about something, not being, that's enough information. Acknowledge it. That's authenticity. Something just doesn't feel right. That's information. Adopt it, take it, validate it, make your decision from there. So we're born, attachment, authenticity. In our formative years, in early childhood, all the way up to adulthood and today, We constantly are presented with crossroads to these two needs. Sometimes they really absolutely do conflict with each other in order to stay in my relationship that's heavily dysfunctional or toxic as hell or my family dynamic. If I have to self-sacrifice, if I have to abandon myself, if I have to betray my values, if I have to do something that is dishonoring of who I really am, what I really want, what I really care about, et cetera, how I really feel. Even if it's just like, oh, do I really feel that? That questioning process is you choosing attachment over authenticity. So in order, perfect example, I was, this was my favorite poison, was choosing self-abandonment. In order to stay in a relationship with someone, I would invalidate myself. I would allow myself to be invalidated. I would try hard to fit into somebody else's life and not ever demand that they fit into mine and definitely not demand that we make one together. It was how can I fit on a newspaper in the corner of this human being's life and contort and alter and change who I am in order to fit the best in that space by taking up the smallest amount of room to stay attached, to stay in a relationship. How can I chase approval at the same speed of avoiding criticism to make my adopted father happy? to love me. He didn't love me for who I really was. Not a chance. He loved the avatar and the character that I could play appropriately. So I would choose to stay attached to him and choose to be inauthentic. All suffering that we experience, I believe, results from choosing attachment over authenticity. And then we end up getting to the critical mass where we don't know who we are, we're a shell of ourselves and we can't control our thoughts. We have no sense of value. We have no identity. We don't know who the hell we are. It's because we've chosen for 37 or 41 years that we will be attached and we would rather be attached and we would rather be belong and we would rather be chosen than be who we really are.
1: That is probably one of my favorite five minutes I've ever done on the podcast. And I'm actually buzzing to listen. To that. I've not heard you, I've not heard anyone um speak about this attachment versus this authenticity and how you articulated that i've taken so many notes um god right try and break down what you said there so because there's a few the few notes i want to sort of just um go over what you said there, and also like take it somewhere else where we talk about the avatar so um for me when you talk about this authenticity um it's almost like intuition isn't it like that gut feeling we've all had it before and my understanding of this is that essentially the more that you ignore yourself the quieter it gets and the harder it is to rehear it again uh, And my i correct in in hearing that like that you want when you start to hear that feeling or that that initial thing you want to be listening to it rather than ignoring it is that am I correct in that is
0: we want to be listening to it but the caveat is it doesn't get quieter Mm -hmm. we can put that wise self or the little girl or the fear of the girl that's a fear of being abandoned or whatever we can put her in a closet the girl that was I was, I, was kind of, I was kind of nerdy and lanky and string beanie. I was not very, I was kind of an awkward kid and she wasn't gonna be accepted in school. Like there was just no chance. She had buck teeth and long lanky arms and everything was super weird. She had absolutely no chest. She was not developing whatsoever. She was poor, poor pitiful thing was just, and she was awkward. She tripped over her feet every other, it was just fun. I didn't love her, choose her, approve of her. And I criticized the hell out of her. She needed to go away and hide in a closet. She could not come to school. There was just no way. So I covered her in black hair and piercings and big baggy clothes and all of that because there was only one group that fit like an avatar that I could successfully mask myself into belonging to. And it was this like dark, angry crowd. Getting back around to how that shows up is it doesn't get quieter. I may have successfully shoved her in further and further closets and hiding hiding her behind more and more layers and boxes. She, the truth of her got quiet, but the anxiety, the perfectionism, the fear, the easily triggered, all of that stuff, it finds a path of least resistance. Mm. You may have successfully shut her up, but it's going to find another way to express itself. It may not be able to express itself with authenticity, but inauthenticity will show up as chronic headaches, chronic anxiety, depression, insomnia, fear of imposter syndrome, being a perfectionist, being OCD, being ADHD. It shows up in a lot of in a myriad of ways to try and still give you the signal that something's wrong. This is why things like I I honestly think that ADHD is absolute complete bullshit. We are so triggered into a state of survival that we don't have the ability. They say that ADHD is the inability or the ability to only to not focus on anything. You have the absolute, you cannot focus on anything. I think that's actually backwards. I think it's the inability to shut off focus on all things because your body's in survival and you are scanning your environment all the time. And you're, you're running on all cylinders because you're, you can't shut off. You can't shut off because if you shut off and let your guard down, you would be attacked. I think it's fear. I think it's, I have been inauthentic with myself for so long that I have to be hyper-vigilant about all of my surroundings because I am constantly assessing the micro-expressions of every single person in every single situation. And I can't shut any of them off and that person looks like they can't focus because to focus on one thing leaves their guard down from behind them. I think it's, I I don't think that that's all cases of it, but I think for the most part, this critical peak that we're getting to where people are dealing with anxiety and depression more than we've ever seen it. People are dealing with ADHD more than we've ever seen it. People are dealing with food intolerances more than we've ever seen them. I think our nervous system's trying to scream at us, hey, Pay attention. I'm giving you information and you're ignoring it and you're popping pills on it and you're going on chronic dates on it and you're drinking on top of it and you're taking gummies on top of it to try and shut me up. Hmm. We're just, we're playing whack-a-mole with our symptoms.
1: It's causing and effect. it's underneath. It's cause and effect. And what we're trying yes. to do is we're trying, we're trying to change the effect without looking back like, well, what's yeah. causing this? So I've never heard that the ADHD thing. I, I've not gone too much into it to think about, but I, I talk a lot about the anxiety and a lot of kids now have an anxiety. In my head, it's like, do you have anxiety or are you just feeling anxious? Because there's a difference between feeling anxious and having anxiety. And a lot of people are saying they're depressed. Okay, is, you can feel a little bit depressed and low and depression are two very different things. And I also think nowadays is a massive thing of everyone's labelled with ADHD. People are looking on TikTok, they're saying they've got ADHD, they're saying they've got depression, they've got anxiety, and people are just self-diagnosing themselves. And then, as we mentioned before, telling themselves a story, putting themselves in a box and then playing up to that narrative and actually becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy. I'm dyslexic. The story I told myself for years is that I couldn't read. I can read. I just wasn't very good at it. I literally have a bookshelf full of books that I've read now, again, before I realized, actually, I was reading this information, doing nothing with it, and then I've changed my, my thing. But I'm amazing at reading. I'm very, very good at reading because guess what? I practiced it and I got better. I did something about it. Now, again, I just want to sort of loop back around some stuff said here about this avatar. And again, just brilliant here. Because um, it's something I had to work on a lot when it comes to integrating the positive and the negative experiences and of our past, especially the negative and abandoning ourselves. Do you think there's a lot of shame around that? And that's why people don't want to do it. So again, I look at myself when I was younger, very badly bullied. I then look at myself in my early years, wanting to fit in, just literally would sleep with almost anybody. Like I had such a bad relationship with sex, myself. And I look back and for years, until 28 years old, when I literally hit rock bottom, I was a ticking time bomb from when I was in secondary school all the way up to I was 28 years old. And there was just such shame about how I had been, how I'd acted, how I treated other people um, and not living. I was brought up very well, good background, like good morals and values. And I was not being authentic with that true version of myself. I was putting on this mask, becoming an avatar. And I say that every day, I had to put a mask on every day. It was harder and harder and harder. Do you think there's a, the reason why people don't want to do this work is because they are afraid of the shame the guilt and the feeling of actually taking a look in the mirror at the life they've created through some of the actions
0: i do because we don't just leave information sitting where it is we tend to we take it on ourselves because we were taught this in school you know we we tripped and fell and it wasn't that we tripped and fell. We tripped and fell because we were stupid. We tripped and fell because we, there was just, it, we automatically took something that happened and we would watch our peers make it about us. We got laughed at because we were a freak. We were an outcast, not because we got laughed at. Everything was personal. Everything was pervasive. It was very like identity attached. And if we were poor, it's because our parents were losers or because we were drug addicted. If we stunk, it's because we were disgusting. It wasn't because it's summer and I stunk that day or I forgot to shower. It was like, that's the, i.e. perfect example, the kid that that stinks in class. That's not just the kid that forgot to shower. That's the gross kid now. it's a, It's identity attached. And so when I see someone out in the world and they're another example, somebody who's morbidly obese, I don't see someone that just is that way. I see someone that is wearing their trauma, wearing their shame. It's it's showing up as extra pounds. But what I'm seeing is they are actually on the outward level expressing my shame. I'm ashamed of myself. When I see someone with piercings and tattoos all over their face up and down their body and that's how they've chosen to self-punish that's how they've chosen to wear their shame wear their lack of self-worth we wear our trauma we wear unhealed trauma and it takes a lot of different forms and that was it's so funny because like the last tattoo that i got i've gotten little ones here and there but they were like a general like i actually I'm personally attached. I want that. It means something to me. Before then, it was just, I wanted to somehow express what was going on inside of me on the outside. And so we do this all the time. It's somebody doesn't feel good about themselves. And they just, they know that the, their, their body on a, on a level, they may not even consciously know, they know that their, their gut produces serotonin. It's a serotonin factory. So the fuller that gut is, the happier I'm going to feel. And you can imagine if you, anything that you do becomes addictive the moment that it meets one or two of your needs. Mm. And if you have a need to avoid something, or if you're hiding from something, or you're trying to compensate for something, that's a lot of needs pushing you to overeat all the time. Mm. It's just, we're showing it every single day out there in the world. And, And it's become, the reason I believe it's become such a plague is because we're not turning inward and asking ourselves like, what would actually solve this? What would actually stop compensating for it? Let it catch me instead of avoiding and running and chasing approval and we need to all stop. And it's it's easier said than done because that's stopping all the other structures we've built that are running with us stop too. And so that whole, like, you can't unsee it, your whole, it kind of is true. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what perpetuates the machinery. The faster we run to chase the approval is the same speed as we're running to avoid the criticism because all of this stuff, when we, once we stop, it's not, you're just the kid who stinks. It's you're the gross kid. You have to face that like identity crisis. And so most of the people that we, we do, we are like, nope. I don't need an identity crisis in my life. I do this just fine. I run the mechanics, the inner child in me, the fear, the pit—they're locked in the closet. This system works because it keeps me above water. And to stop the system, I'm afraid I will drown and die. Mm.
1: People are so attached to this identity as well, don't they? And that's something I've really had to work with. Again, when a client's losing 120 pounds, it's like you're literally changing someone's identity, as you mentioned, by unpicking the reason why they've held on to identity in the first place. And again, when it comes to tattoos, I need to re-listen back to what we have mentioned about the tattoos. But again, it's interesting because I was looking at my tattoos. Obviously, I'm not covered like you are on other people. But it's interesting. I was thinking, well, yeah, actually, when I got these tattoos, it was an outward reflection of where my internal thing was. They all mean something to me. Now, I'm not saying everyone has stuff that means something to them, but it's just very interesting how again, it's a representation of this means something to me, so I'm then going to put it on my body I'm expressing my my internal environment on my external body so people can see and it means something very, very interesting. I've not really heard much about that, and but again, it's got me thinking, so I want to go back and listen to that now I'm very cautious of your time um so but this has been fantastic like genuinely um the value that you've added is it's been fantastic, and I, I knew some of the points you were going to raise would be controversial to some people, which is why have wanted you on because you're very straight talking the way you deliver stuff isn't how people normally deliver this content and i absolutely love this um and we've we've covered a lot of stuff so the question i ask all my guests when they come on uh and again you can either summarize what we've said or just pop something new in there what bit of advice would you give to someone right now that's listening that feels stuck and out of control with their life Mm, stuck and out of control with their life that's a
0: good one I would say to them that the best thing that they can remember is that in every single moment without exception, you have the freedom to choose again. In every single moment without exception, I would pair that with something that's even lined up with scripture. The truth will set you free. It may piss you off, Mm. but seeking truth as a constant thing, never faltering to seek truth. Even if you think you found truth, ask yourself, what could be even truer than this? What can be even more true than this that I've found? Never stop questioning that Mm. because authenticity is truth it's ungated it's unguarded it's unencumbered and it's freedom truth is freedom no matter what type of text or religious doctrine or meditative theory or anything that you find you will always find truth and freedom are synonymous you want to be free you want to feel like you're in control what are you being dishonest about those are your shackles those are the things that hold you back those are your enemy -hmm. Attack those. Shed light on those. And the thing is, you don't even have to really attack them. All you have to do is ask, "What's true?" In the face of them, and the shackles come off. The BS comes off. The guarded lack of something is off. There's a lot of people that say, "Oh, I'm I'm so busy. I don't have enough time." They give all this. I'm I'm incapable. I don't know how. I'm not good enough. I'm not ready. It's like. All of those things appear like some sort of limiting belief or a barrier or something. It's all up here. It's all BS. I don't have enough time. I'm busy. I'm super, even somebody is super busy. It's like, you can be, you can be telling the truth and still not totally honest with yourself. Totally not totally authentic with yourself. Yeah. You're busy. That may be true, but what's honest is that you're wasting your time. You're not prioritized. You haven't made decisions. You don't know who you are. And so you feel busy. You're all over the place because there's no direction. You're rudderless. You're being blown in every single direction. You're easily distracted. All of those things. That's what's honest. You may be busy, but you're not, you don't, you don't have a lack of time. You have an abundance of self-fulfilling barriers. Mm. So authenticity is freedom. And you always have the power to
1: choose again. I love that. And again, uh, one of my favorite sayings is the truth is the truth, whether you like it or not. And again, the way you destroy darkness is with light and truth is the light. So if you shine the light on your darkness, the truth on your darkness, it will set you free. Uh, I absolutely love that. Kara. where can people find out more information about you? If people want to connect with you, if we want to reach out, where can people find out more information?
0: I am really easy to reach. I'm ever present. If you Googled me and you're an Instagram person, I have an Instagram. If you Googled me and you're, a website, blog, in TikTok, podcast, person—I'm—I'm I'm everywhere. You can't—you can't really miss me. So just Google Cara Payton or CaraPayton.com or search me, and in- I'm—I'm pretty much in your corner no matter where you are.
1: Amazing, honestly. Thank you very much for your time today. The value that you've given my audience is incredible. Uh, I love everything you about. I love your energy, uh, and thank you for taking the time to speak to my audience today. Thank you. Absolute pleasure. That was.